Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 120th episode of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser. Ad hoc blogger on Twitter, and we have got a show for you tonight. You may feel a little bit, I don't know, off kilter after the Seahawks have lost three or four games and wondering, like, what could possibly be uplifting and exciting regarding the Seahawks right now? Well, this show is going to be that turn of events for you. Um, uh, as always, I'm going to bring in the fellas. We've got Evan Hill at Evan on SEA on Twitter. We've got Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 on Twitter. And the beautifully quaffed Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. He is sexy as hell, folks. You didn't <laughs> know it, but now you do. Um, looking great. Um, but more important than any of us, uh, we're really, really, really excited to bring in AJ McCord. Uh, AJ's been with us uh, once before, and somehow we fooled her into coming on again. We're excited to have her at AJ underscore McCord, M-C-C-O-R-D on Twitter. Coming to us live from Portland, a town that still has an NBA franchise involved in the draft tonight. Uh, first question for you, AJ. First of all, welcome. Um, second of all, like, how excited should we be about the Trailblazers acquiring Robert Covington? That seems like a big move. It is a big move. And I think for Portland, it addresses some needs that they really have. So here, obviously, in Portland, as it is in Seattle, we're all taking COVID very seriously. So we have to wear our masks anytime we are 
uh, in the station and not on camera. So I'm gonna try and enunciate so y'all can hear me okay. Um, so yeah, Portland Robert Covington addresses a need. Trevor Ariza is somebody who was a really good fit for the Blazers, but Covington just is a little bit better of a defender and that four spot is something that's just a little, still a need for Portland. So certainly the Blazers wanna build, they wanna take advantage of Damian Lillard's prime, CJ McCollum's prime, Yusuf Nurkic's prime. So they got to go out and make some moves, and this is the one they made. So they lost their number 16 pick tonight. They still have a pick in round two, theoretically. Uh, we'll see if that happens. Well, um, I just know that, that as a fan of all of Paul Allen's teams, um, <laughs> Cody Allen's teams, uh, I'm excited for the, the Blazers to make that move. And, yeah, we need, we need to get a four. We need someone that can guard somebody, uh, and, and we can't just count on Zach Collins to, to – right. we need more than that. So – um, AJ, I know we only have you for a while tonight and, uh, we're going to jump right in because there is actually a ton of Seahawks news that came out even, um, even just today. And so want to start, um, by talking to you about the injury situation, because there's been a fair amount of, of injury news coming out today. Um, I'll leave it open-ended to start with. What are the, the, the injury um, bits of, of info that you're paying attention to for the Seahawks and, and, and the Cardinals? What stood out to you um, and what you saw for the, the report today? Yeah, so the running backs is the biggest thing. I think Seattle really, really would like to get both Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson back, obviously. Um, from talking to Pete Carroll today, it sounds like Carlos Hyde, I would list him more as probable and I would list Chris Carson as doubtful. I believe they're both listed as questionable. Um, but even getting Carlos Hyde back for Seattle tomorrow against the Cardinals is going to be big because Russell Wilson has been so uncomfortable in the pocket since he played the Cardinals the last time. And a big part of that is because his running backs haven't been there to sort of have his back or his front, if you will, because I think as much as DJ Dallas, as much as Alex Collins, as much as Travis Homer have tried to step up, they don't know the system as well. And Alex Collins is somebody that I actually covered in college when he was in Fayetteville. So I know he's a really good uh, blocking running back, but it takes a minute. The dude hasn't played in the NFL for an entire year. So no wonder it's taking him a second to sort of get adjusted. But I think from an injury perspective, if you're Seattle, Kyle Fuller, it sounds like will be back tomorrow, but obviously he's going to still have some ankle issues. That's not great <laughs> when your center is dealing with ankle issues. But I think outside of the center, um, really getting one of those running backs is going to back is going to be key for Seattle tomorrow because Russell Wilson has to have a better game than he's had in the past couple. Yeah. Um, other thing that we note there on the injury side, both cornerbacks uh, mm -hmm. are going to be out again. Um, and uh, I also noticed Benson Mayoa not on the injury report, looking like he's going to be back. Right. Uh, you know, how are, do you have a point of view on, on how much you expect him to play or how he and Carlos Dunlap may, may share snaps? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I think that's something that Pete Carroll always talks about. He hasn't had a defense that's consistent from week to week. So it's something that he's toying with every single week. And Dunlap is somebody who doesn't know the system. And of course he has picked it up as well as he could in the last, what, week and a half, two weeks. But I think getting Benson Mayo back again, there's a little bit of that um, familiarity just with the system. Jamal Adams is going to be back. And then maybe you get snacks involved again. And all of a sudden, you've got all these guys who can threaten Kyler Murray. Because last time, Kyler Murray was laughing 
when he was back there getting ready to throw to DeAndre Hopkins. That's not good. (laughs) If you're Seattle, you do not want Kyler Murray laughing in your face. So I think that's going to be really critical is to make him far more uncomfortable this week than they were the last time he played. I think there was just one QB hurry, which is just not, it's just not going to cut it. And if your cornerbacks are hurt, then you really got to make him uncomfortable. Well, let's let's talk about that for a second. Um, I I think that uh, last game we saw the Seahawks uh, when they played the, the, the Cardinals, they came in with a clear game plan to try to keep Murray in the pocket Mm-hmm. And that involved the defensive ends really not pushing up the field very much, um, really trying to force him to throw. And that's what he did. He did that a lot and he did it pretty well. Um, yep. The Seahawks didn't get any pressure in that game. Mm-hmm. So the Seahawks, the last three games have upped the pressure significantly and the blitzing significantly. Um, if you're Seattle coming into this game, are you risking the blitz and putting pressure on him and hoping he doesn't run all over you? Or are you staking with the conservative approach that they took last time? I think you have to try something else. What you tried last time didn't work. So I think you have to try something else. Seattle has been somewhat successful with that blitz. We know Jamal Adams loves doing it. We know Bobby Wagner loves doing it. Now you add in Carlos Dunlap, potentially getting Mayoa back. I think you have to, you have to blitz. Because if Kyler Murray is comfortable and your cornerbacks are hurt, you do not want DeAndre Hopkins in a one-on-one or even two-on-one situation, sometimes not a three-on-one situation, where he has time. So I think you have to get to Kyler Murray. That is absolutely paramount if Seattle wants to win this game tomorrow. Um, last question I've got for you, uh, AJ, and then uh, see if the fellows have any that they want to drop in here. But um Pete Carroll made a comment earlier this week that has gotten a lot of attention. And we will be talking about this even after you drop off, but he (laughs) talked about wanting to get back to balance on offense. And he talked about more running, you know, as part of, of, of that piece. We are seeing the Seahawks get at least one of their backs um, and Carlos Hyde um, available for this game who has been out. How much stock are you putting into that comment from Pete? when you've got the number one scoring offense in the league based on how they've been working so far. Yeah. But they have been turning the ball over a lot more mm-hmm. recently. How, what are you, what's your expectation heading into tomorrow night about how the offense may look different than it has so far this year? That's a good question. I think that a, when you get a running back back that is healthy, then of course that's going to shift you to more of a balance. I think there is, balance even in that of saying that for the last few weeks Seattle's running back core has not been healthy and even when Hyde and I mean how long has it been since Hyde and Carson have been in two three four weeks for some of them and so I think of course they haven't run the ball as much because DJ Dallas had that great game but then you can't expect him to do that every week he's still a rookie Alex Collins is still learning the system but he looked much better against the Rams and he did that first game. He's picking up the system. And so, of course, Pete Carroll is going to say, get back to a more balanced offense because you now have the weapons to do that again. But I think for the last few weeks, they've been trying to sort of play away from their weaknesses, if not play into their strengths a little bit more. Well, uh, I did have one more thing I have to ask you before we go. You've been watching this team like we all have, and you've seen the Cardinals and and them, you know, and the position they've been in. 
how are you feeling about this game? Like what, what is your expectation about how this game is going to play out tomorrow? So I don't want to be dramatic, but I really do think that this moment is Seattle's. Like we are going to find out tomorrow if the Seahawks have been struggling for the last three or four weeks, but it's just been a combination of injuries and uncharacteristic Russell Wilson, or we're going to find out that all that talk about Seattle making it all the way about Russell Wilson for MVP was way too premature because the Cardinals were the team that really were the first one to lay out the blueprint and say, this is how you can beat the Seattle Seahawks. Three, two of the last two of the three teams since have followed that blueprint and beat the Seattle Seahawks. And so I think for the Seahawks tomorrow is a game that they absolutely need to prove that that undefeated start was not a fluke that in fact, the last three, the last four weeks, really four, because the 49ers were so beat up and got more beat up as the game went on that that wasn't the fluke. You know, I think, I think we're really going to, this is a, to me, this is a a defining moment for Seattle. You know what the Cardinals are going to do. You know what Kyler Murray can do. You know what Buda Baker can do. Buda Baker can do what can Seattle do what adjustments can Seattle make and that's what they need to show if they want to get back on this train of rest for MVP going all the way winning the NFC West etc etc awesome um AJ thank you for joining us I know you've got other duties tonight um it's been great having you and Hopefully we get a different result this time uh, than, than the last time the Seahawks played the Cardinals and I uh, can talk to you in the future about a, a long Seattle run. Yeah, although you put a lot of pressure on me that like it's up to me whether the Seahawks win tomorrow or not. I don't have any plans to suit up. Pete Carroll hasn't called me yet. We so... will hold you personally responsible. Yeah, that. well, you give me a jersey number first. Then you can hold me responsible. <laughs> Thank you, AJ. Have a great rest of your night. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Well, there you guys have it. Um, AJ McCord at AJ underscore McCord on Twitter. Always great to have AJ join. Um, I think a a rising star in the Seahawks beat and uh, um, asks great questions whenever she's given the opportunity in the presser. Um, Fellas, I got to say, I've got a good feeling about this game. I don't, I can't say that there's a good reason for it. I have some ideas about why, but um, we got, we got a ton of topics to go over. We gotta, gotta, gotta start with this conversation about the run game and what we think Pete meant, what we're expecting and both tomorrow and what this has implications on long-term. And Jeff, I want to start with you on this. So what I heard was Pete responding. I think Pete was defensive after that Rams game. I think he was getting pushed in ways that he was uncomfortable. Thank you, Joe fan. Uh, yes. Yes. Good call. Explain that comment before I continue, Evan, for people that don't know the story. <sighs> yeah, this might ruffle some feathers, um, but I'm going to say it any, any, anyways, uh, Seahawks media members, I'm not going to name names, but many of the beat reporters can be very timid and refuse or are hesitant to ask questions that really uh, 
you know, deliver a truly insightful answer. Uh, questions that are maybe a little bit more controversial. We saw it around the Antonio Brown stuff. Uh, we saw Joe Fan ask, uh, you know, about the run pass splits and all this stuff in the in the post game conference. Um, the Seahawks PR folks are typically very aggressive about any beat reporters that like to step out of line, I guess you could say, and ask daring questions uh, doing their job. So Joe Fan, I think this is not inside really information. It's just as an outside observer, Joe Fan clearly is willing to ask uh, questions that I think others sometimes aren't. And Joe didn't just ask the question. He pushed back on Pete. I don't know if you guys saw the post game when Pete said his answer about wanting to make sure they didn't score, they went down the field and scored and Joe called them out on that. And I, I don't think anyone's really done that. And I mean, you mentioned the Seahawks PR being a little different. That's not normal around the league. I can tell you, I worked with a lot of PR staff when I was covering football. Like when I worked with the bills, like they gave me incredible access and I'm a dude from Toronto who like is an unknown, like, they gave me locker room access. They gave me one-on-ones. Like, that is not a common thing. So, yeah, Joe deserves a lot of credit. Yeah. It, so, tying this all back. Yeah. What, was it, what were you going to ask me? Tying it all back, um, Pete was on the defensive. My read of this is Pete was on the defensive. He's obviously unhappy with the way things are going. He's looking at the turnover situation as – out of character. He doesn't like what he's seeing. His defense, that is his brand, is the worst in the history of the game and is not, you know, clearly improving in the way that he wants it to. And my read, Jeff, of what he said on Monday was, screw all you all. We're going back to the way I like to play this game. We are going to run this football. We're going to get back to balance. That's going to create, you know, less chance of turnover going to keep the defense off the field longer and deal with it am i am i right in your, in your perspective or, or am i being too extreme and in, in interpreting what what pete said no I, I think i think i i think we all have the same fear i think we all saw his comments and brian you had a very i, I thought insightful comment in our group thread and I've been thinking about this all week, to be honest, that you said a lot of leaders that you deal with at work when things start to go wrong and they get questioned rather than trying to solve the problem and rather than they go back to what they know and what they're comfortable with. And I know Nathan's talked about this a ton. There was that 0-2 start in 2018. And when the passing numbers weren't going the way Pete wanted, he went way over to the other side. And that's a famous moment in Seahawks history where he completely overcorrected. I think we're all worried that he's going to overcorrect again. When I think if you analyze the situation, I don't think the need to run is the issue. I think it's more just not having Chris Carson in the lineup. If you don't have him tomorrow and you think the problem that they need to solve is running more, I think that just misevaluating what's happening. And I think we're, we're going to get into this later. I imagine talking about what's going on with Russell Wilson, but I think more fixing what's going on with Russell Wilson is the issue, not running the football. So yeah, I'm like you, I'm a little worried they're going to overcorrect there. Yeah, Nathan, you know, um, and Evan, feel free to jump in on this as well. I mean, just, just expounding on what, what Jeff was referring to, like, we've all worked with different leaders, you know, in, in you know, corporate world or, or business world. And there are certain types of personalities that are attracted to higher level leadership positions. And uh, when they get put in 
a vulnerable spot, things aren't going well when they're called out, there's a certain personality type that the way they react to that is they circle the wagons. Uh, they kind of go back to what they know. Um, they strike out at, at people that are challenging them and they kind of close off to any new ideas. And it's not particularly a leadership style I respect, but I've definitely noticed it. And, um, you know, that was the reason I made that comment. Uh, is that, you know, is that kind of what, is that, is that the personality that you ascribe to Pete? Or do you think this is maybe just a little bit of a unique situation for him? It's a person, it's a, it's a trait that I think I prescribe to just basically everybody. I mean, I think it's just a little bit of human nature that if you get kind of out of your element, you know, um, you tend to want to find some comfort, find something that, you know, right. You, you have some rock that you can kind of, uh, hold fast to. And so, um, I think that, I think everybody has to fight against that instinct, um, but I do think like in 2018, you know, when it looked like they were trying to do, trying to be a little bit more aggressive, they passed a bunch of those first two games. Um, and then, you know, we all know how the rest of that season went. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something um, that, that concerns me. Um, we might be reading into it a little too much. Um, I, I, I'm not going to be at all surprised if they come out with a 2018-esque game plan tomorrow. Um, but, you know, I mean, Seattle passed quite a bit in 2016. They passed quite a bit in 2017. They came out in 2018 and tried to pass a little bit more. Um, so it's not like, you know, and, and they've held fast with it this year, even after the last, you know, couple games haven't gone especially well. Um, so I don't know that we should just assume that Pete's automatically going to snap back to that. But I think everybody in that situation where you get in a little hot water and you're trying something new, I think your instinct is going to be, well, let's kind of reel this back and do something that we're comfortable with and that we know and that, you know, especially Pete with how long he's been doing this and the success and the, the, the heights that he's reached, it's just going to be natural for him to kind of want to rein it back in a little bit after what has been a pretty awful two weeks like we shouldn't underestimate that either like it has been very bad <laughs> like it's not like they just kind of hit some tough tough waters and uh, you know we're gonna go back like no the ship sunk <laughs> like two weeks in a row so um yeah it's gonna be really interesting to see i think that's a great point i mean evan you and i talked on the post game show like this is as bad a two weeks as we've seen in a long time for the Seahawks and people are gonna say, what are you talking about? They're six and three. Even Bobby said, we're six and three. We're not three and six. True. But when you talk about the, the quality of this team, the potential of this team, the expectations that are building around this team versus how they perform the last two weeks, I'm hard pressed to remember a two week span where the difference between expectations and, and, you know, realistic potential versus how they performed was greater. Like they laid two eggs the last two weeks in different ways, some similar, some different, but like, I think, I think that Nathan's right. This has been pretty bad the last two weeks. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has, but let me, let me in late. Let me layer in several thoughts here because I also have been thinking about this comment all week long. Uh, I'm going to pump the brakes and set and defend Pete Carroll for a second. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. I know. I know. Bring it. But it's going to be in a little bit of a circular way. Okay. So well, I don't want to oversell myself first. It's on the ride. Uh, Pete Carroll is a liar. 
And Pete Carroll lies all the time about a lot of things. And he should lie. He doesn't want to give away competitive advantages. So let's wait. I, this is the, my fear is we're going to get too far deep into this discussion again. And then the Seahawks are just going to continue with their normal sort of uh, offensive approach against the Cardinals. Now, so that's, that's sort of uh, point number one for Evan's rebuttal to Pete Carroll's dumb comments on Monday. Uh, point number two is, and maybe this is a very dumb take and you guys might just say, Evan, you're an idiot. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Very possible. But is it possible when Pete refers to balance, when he talks about balancing the offense, is it possible he's talking more about balancing the production side of the op of the offense, not the opportunity side? So what do I mean by that? Um, if you if you replace Chris Carson with Alex Collins, I think all of us are going to agree. Chris Carson is going to get more yards. He's going to do more damage. He's going to escape more tackles. He's going to be a larger part of the offense with the same amount of opportunities than if Alex Collins got it. Is it possible? Am I going insane? Am I going too deep into the, these comments? Is it possible that he's referring more to production than opportunity? Brian, do you think I'm insane? That's not how I see it. I think Pete's simpler than that, honestly. Like, here, here, Here's my take on it. Like, here's what I, I think that one, they're going to run the ball more tomorrow night. I am certain of that. Like, like 95% certain they're going to run the ball more tomorrow night Two, I think they should run the ball more tomorrow night. I think that the matchup for a lot of reasons makes sense for them to consider doing that. They, they ran up 600 yards almost against the Cardinals last time they played that was through the air, but they had 200 yards rushing in that game. The Cardinals are without Corey Peters, who's their best interior defensive lineman. They're without Jordan Phillips, who's their other. They are down to very, very little on the interior line. You've got your backup center. You've had trouble picking up blitzes. I think there's a lot of reasons for the Seahawks to consider running more this week. And here's my concern, Evan, related to this whole conversation is, I think Pete might get a false positive validation for that one week approach that will then have a lasting effect on how the team is allowed to approach offense in future weeks. That's my concern tomorrow night. Go ahead and run the ball. I'm actually okay with that tomorrow. night. Does that, does that depend on Chris Carson's availability? Does your perspective on that depend on his, go ahead, Jeff. I said, doesn't sound like he's going to play. He's not going to play. No, but but I but specifically in terms of what Brian is saying, I agree the matchup is there to run the ball. But do you think like you rein that in a little bit more if he's not available? Like, what's your thoughts? Well, for me, yeah, I think that there is a chasm between Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde. Like, I think there's like I know Nathan is like itching in his chair. Yes, running backs are almost all the same. There are absolutely, if you look at even uh, advanced metrics on Chris Carson, success rate, EPA, there is a big difference between him and Carlos Hyde. It's not close. So I think that, uh, I think there is a big difference. And I think that Chris Carson is more uh, capable as a pass blocker and a receiver. So he's just better overall, like for sure. But I don't think that changes anything from Pete's perspective. Pete thinks about them both as the same style of runner. They're both, you know, 
hard-nosed runners. That's what Pete cares about. So it would just be very on brand for the Seahawks to look at one or two bad offensive games, which we we're not going to dismiss. They were two very bad games and then overcorrect to the complete opposite side of the, you know, of the spectrum and say, it's time to go back to like a 2018 usage or something like that. I, I want to, I want to, I want to bestill caution among everybody. The offense will rebound. They're too good not to. This is, this is 2018 pre 2018 optimistic Evan reappearing for a brief, brief moment. This offense is too talented not to rebound. This defense is obviously the number one concern moving forward. I I think any significant offensive philosophy changes are not warranted barring a catastrophic injury. Let's set aside Pete for a second. I want to hear from this group about tomorrow night. What's the right strategy for this game, including thinking about Tyler Lockett is going to be, sounds like he's going to be playing, but is playing injured. Uh, You've got potential rain in the forecast. We know how Russell's played in that. Like forget Pete. Do you guys believe that at the very least increasing the use of the run game makes sense tomorrow or not? I feel Evan, go ahead. I was just going to say, I I feel like outside of like two bad Russell Wilson decisions against the Cardinals in the previous game, they had a really, or three bad decisions. Uh, Okay. They still scored 34 points. 27 in the first half. Like, yeah, like 34 points is good. <laughs> Giving up. Carson, what was that? I'm not being serious here, but when Chris Carson go out of that game, that was when he left. And since then they've been different. Okay. I was mostly saying that as a joke, but anyway, <laughs> go ahead. It's true though. I, so I, my point to your answer, your question is what I, I hate to say these words, but I agree with Evan. Um, and Nathan and Ben, they both, put up really good clips of last game and you can see there was a lot there passes were open and it's not like their strategy was about killing them I think they are there is a there is a trend right now that they are having trouble with how the way teams are attacking them the Rams were very creative the Bills were very different and the Cardinals the first time they played them got very blitz happy and very unique in terms of what they were throwing at them but if you look at those clips, there are guys open and there are guys, I don't think their issue is that they're passing too much or that they need to run more. And sure, but even last game, Brian, when they did start running more, you seemed especially frustrated at how predictable those first down Collins runs were. And they were kind of taking the rhythm out of their offense. And Carlos Hyde's coming back after an injury. It's a short week. I don't know if just running the ball with Carlos Hyde, despite their defensive line deficiencies, with a center who's going to have to play with a high ankle sprain or unless Phil Haynes plays, I don't know if that's the most ideal situation to me. It's a coaching better to adjust for blitzes and adjust for different looks advanced Joseph might give you. And it's just passing differently. It's maybe not purely relying on deep passes. I know people mentioned that Pittsburgh game from last year a lot. That's a game where they've shown they can pass against blitzes with the quick game. And if you look on like a famous fourth and one, they didn't go for last game. Greg Olson on third down is wide open, like as easy as a pass as you can see from a quarterback and Russell doesn't hit the pass. So, so if they make some basic plays and just get back to passing a little smarter. 
I think they should stick to what they've been doing because I think that's how this team has to win because their defense is too bad to play the other way. Guys, I just want to layer in some specific stats from that previous Cardinals game. So just to be super specific, the Seahawks on early downs, okay, passed the ball 47 times to 22 runs, okay? But, and Brian's going to like this, the EPA per play was nearly double running the football. It was 0.29 versus 0.14. So I think those are, that's the context we need to work from in terms of Run should that they. One more time. So 47 early pass plays to Which 20. Uh, Seahawks, Cardinals. Cardinals. Yeah, the first. Cardinals. Cardinals. Okay. Did like Tyler Lockett have one of the best games like of any receiver this year? Oh my God. It was an amazing game. And look, I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with them passing. I, I do think that I think that it's just it's just a feeling. I, I think that they've got I've got I think they've got some advantages in this game against the run. I think that we're gonna see look, the Cardinals struggled in that game defensively early, and then they started applying pressure with blitzes, and the Seahawks had trouble picking up some of those, and the Cardinals had some success. Um, what there's also Jeff, I don't know if you've seen it and other folks, you know, there's been some great cutups of people looking at film and showing that there are significant run opportunities in how the Rams and the bills approach the Seahawks because the Seahawks have become so pass centric and so reluctant to, to punish people with the run that teams aren't really having to contend with that side. And so one of the things I wrote in my column on, on Monday was, the 2013 Seahawks team, the LOB Seahawks team, they could beat you in a number of different ways. If they needed to run the ball, if that was your weakness, they could do that. If you, if they needed to pass the ball, they could do that. If they needed to beat you with their defense, either coverage or run or pass rush, they could do all those things. This Seahawks team can't do all of those things. In fact, the only way that this Seahawks team has proven that it can win is one formula. They will outpass you and outscore you. That's it. And so I do think that I mean, Even technically, that's how to... every team wins, outscoring the other team. Right? That's what you do. You score you more. You know points. the point. Thank you, you know for that point. analysis. Not helpful. So, so <laughs> I think the point here is, if the Seahawks can demonstrate and put on film that teams need to fear uh, the potential that the Seahawks will run the ball at them as well, I think it's helpful. Just like it's helpful that if you show in blitz that you can actually pick it up or hit hot reads or hit a screen, that gives a team and defensive coordinator something to adapt to. So. I think there's positives to the Seahawks potentially demonstrating a run game. I think there's incredible negatives if they take that to mean, yes, we need to be balanced from here on out and change the way we approach our offense. That would be disastrous from my perspective. I just can't believe that we're going to pretend like Chris Carson is the difference between Russ looking like an MVP candidate and Russ looking like a guy that's no. going to throw 20 picks. Is anyone that's what that? Are we not saying that? That without Chris Carson in the lineup, that that's the difference here? No, I don't think anyone's saying that. Well then, what are we what are we, what are we talking about? Like, why why is Chris Carson up for discussion here? Why 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 does he matter? You have other running backs. You have DJ Dallas. They dropped him in the fourth round. You have Alex Collins. He's looked okay. So it's fine. Travis Homer is supposed to be you know really nice third down back. What is what is running more going to do for this team? Like what what changes? What is Chris Carson getting coming back going to change? I'm a little confused by the layer of questions you're asking. If you're asking specifically about what Chris Carson brings, he brings more yards per play that he's in there, whichever, whether it's as a receiver, 
as a runner, as a pass protector, he's just a better player. He's a plus player compared to those others. So that's what he brings. That does not mean specifically that they need to run the ball more. I mean, he hasn't, you, you said earlier that he's better by the advanced metrics. He's not, he's not better by DVOA. I don't believe he's better by EPA or success rate. Uh, I mean, I haven't checked in a little while, but so I could be wrong on that, but uh, he was not doing particularly like he wasn't a standout in those things. Uh, he's, he, he was, he was not like blowing it away when he was in there. Yeah, I think we'll have to pull up some different metrics. I'm happy to look look back on that. The ones that I've seen, Chris Carson was in pretty rarefied category. There's only four runners in the NFL that were performing at the level Chris Carson was. You have and a negative so, DVOA. <laughs> so, yeah, there's obviously a bunch of metrics to look at, certainly from a um, causing missed tackles, elusive. Um, he, is there, he, he typically yeah. ranks well in, in broken tackles. That's true. Uh, but I mean, like, what what is, I don't understand what we're talking about. So do they need to run more? Is that the idea? Does that change something? Why were they successful they running at this rate run early and suddenly they're not? Like, what changed? No, so... I think you're hearing something different than I am. I don't know if Evan or, or Jeff are hearing something else, but like, we're talking about two things. One, what is Pete, what is Pete sure. going to do? We kind of talked about that and we had that conversation. Then we're talking about what makes sense for this particular game um, with all the factors that we're talking about. Chris Carson's not even going to play. So I don't think he's a, a part of that conversation whatsoever. Um, and then there's the conversation about, well, what happens after this game? I think we're spending the least amount of time on that because, you know, we're not there yet. We got to get through this game. I don't think well, any of us on this on this call, on this show, believe that they should significantly change their offensive approach yes. over the course of this season. I so mean, why run more tomorrow? I, I don't get it. Because they, well, the Cardinals just lost two interior defensive tackles for the season. So the theory is that they're really Yellow's going to roll out a center on a high ankle screen. Like <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're yeah. not wrong. Yeah, and, 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 I said don't run more. Doesn't doesn't them being down defensive linemen do, does that not help the passing game too? Does that not help the protection? It totally does. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think anybody on this show though is like they need to significantly run more tomorrow night. I don't okay. think anybody's saying that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just like I it, it, people are talking about this. Oh, they need to run more. Oh, they're so unbalanced. It's not working. And but like, I don't. Nathan, I do kind of hear what you're saying, though, because there is, I think, something we need to recognize. There is a broader conversation going on in Seahawks Twitter right now yeah. about how good Russell can be without Chris Carson. I'm not saying they're right. I'm not at all, actually. But there is th that conversation is happening. So I, I don't want to act like I don't think your your brain is hearing that. And I'm hearing it, too. No, I think that's just the wrong conversation. I've I agree. I, I talked to someone who is with the Bills, and I kind of asked them after the Rams game what they saw, because I know there was a lot of chatter about whether Russell was hurt or whether it was Chris Carson. And what I was told was they saw something in that Arizona tape at the end of the game where Russell wasn't responding well to exotic blitzes. And the Bills tried different looks on him, and he looked he got knocked down more than any player has this year. And the Rams, I know Nathan talked about this a bunch, that the Rams did a lot of stuff that was really creative. So I think more Seattle's coaching has to put Russell in a situation that where teams can't just line up and, and blitz them. And they can't line up and confuse them as easily. And I think 
they're, they need to be more creative in how they do things, whether that's screens or shorter passes, getting the ball to DK in space early in the game. And I think they need to be adjusting more because one thing we've talked a lot about this year has been their developments as a pass protecting team. And that's been a huge thing for them, obviously. But the last three weeks, their pass protection has not been as good. And they've been struggling, especially with these challenging, unique looks. And I think that has hurt Russell. And, and Evan, I know you brought it up, but they were pressured a ton. I think Corbin tweeted something. So I think that is what they have to adjust to more so than going back to the run. I think they have to be prepared and make things harder on opposing defenses because it seems like opposing defenses have the number on what they're doing right now. Good call out. Can I just share that stat real quick? So Corbin had tweeted something like Russell got pressured in that game, this last week's game, more than any on a percentage basis, more than any quarterback has this year in a single game so far. That's crazy. Um, you said something earlier, uh, you were asking earlier, Evan, about like balance in terms of production, not necessarily in terms of like volume. Yeah. The, the Mike Leach stat that, uh, oh crap. I pulled it up here. Uh, what is it? Um, uh, 50, uh, 50% run and 50% pass is 50% stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> great Mike Leach quote. But I mean, he, he goes on to say, when you have five skill positions, if all five of them are contributing to the offensive effort, then that's balanced. Um, this notion that you have to hand it to one guy 50% of the time and you throw a combination of two guys 50% and you're really balanced, then you probably sat yourself in the back and tell yourself that, well, you're delusional. Uh, I mean, I don't necessarily think you have to spread it out equally across all five guys, but like one thing this, this offense could benefit from is getting all of the skill position players involved. And I don't know if if they've become a little too reliant on just DK and, and Lockett. Um, but I think, you know, if you've got those two and, and you get, maybe you get Carson back and you've got Greg Olson and you've got David Moore and you've got Will Disley, right? There's a lot of ways for this team to um, attack a defense, even with passing like, you know, 60, 70% of the time or whatever they've been doing. Um, and I think they need to get, back to that like i don't think we saw really much of anything short to dk and that was something that they had kind of done a little bit early in the year and it looked pretty good and we wanted them to do more of it and they they went the other way with it right i think we're seeing that less than we were before um and so yeah i think that you know uh it, jeff you had said earlier too that you know watching the tape there was a lot that was open i actually don't think that's true there were definitely times that russ missed but i think that russ played about a c minus game with two horrible interceptions thrown on top right and against arizona he played like a b plus game with two or three bad throws on it right and so i think that if they can kind of if russ can stop throwing these picks and they get a little bit more creative and a little bit more balanced not just in maybe running more but in spreading it around and, and attacking the defense and you know going back to some of the stuff like we saw against pittsburgh where they really utilized disley well in that game right and exploiting blitzes and and just attacking it in all areas of the field I think that's what they need to get back to. I don't think Shadi called a particularly good game against um, the Rams. Um, I don't think I, I, it's interesting. I thought there was a number of plays where even the, the play that rushed through the pick Disley was wide the hell open. Russ <laughs> waited to, like forever to throw right. it. And then he threw it. At the, like there were plays where there was guys really open 
And Russ that's true every game. So, so it feels a little bit odd to call Shoddy out on that game. That seems yeah. like it was. A... That's true every game. No quarterback is hitting every single one, well, right? Sure, but but I mean, I I think it's an odd. There are games we've seen where there have not been guys really open for Russ to choose from, and Russ is having to to create. That didn't seem like the main story in this game. We saw a lot of guys that were open. Russ either wasn't throwing it to them or was throwing them off target. So I mean, to me, the question. It wasn't the main story, but I disagree that there were a lot of guys open. Like you can go back, he missed and you can DK. Find he Multiple he times. did. He missed DK twice, and one of them was he was in. I mean, him and uh, Ramsey Rams. were hand fighting all the way down. Right, that was one that hit DK in the fingertips and just a little too far. So yeah, I mean, he. he I'm not saying he. I'm not saying that Russ was not the problem. I'm not excusing Russ. Like he had a he had a poor game with some horrific decisions laid on top. Like it, he had a really bad game all in all. Uh, but I don't think that this was, you know, this wasn't a game where they had 31, 34 points sitting there for them, right? Uh, if no, you need a quarterback to be perfect, then yeah. you're you're not calling a, a very good game. I guess I just see that. I don't think we're actually probably as far apart. I just think the Rams defense was damn good. So, like, That's I don't it. think it was yeah. like Shoddy was just, like, totally blowing it. I think given how good the Rams defense was, I thought there were some pretty decent options that were not exploited and i put most of that on russ i think the interesting thing like you said this nathan russ has got to stop turning the ball over let's talk about that for a second how does that just happen is it just like russ decides to stop turning the ball over or are there other things that the team can do or that he can do to make it less likely that he's going to end up with three or four turnovers in a game i mean we're not going to we're not going to survive. This team is not going to overcome probably even two Russell turnovers in most games, let alone three or four. So, so if the offense is playing the way it can, I think they can overcome two turnovers. I think one thing that we need to keep in mind is there are a few of these turnovers that are a little fluky, a little weird. The fourth Cardinals game in the end zone, right? Where Russ, they're going for it on fourth down. Russ has nothing. And so he just, puts up a hail like a three yard hail mary basically and it gets picked off but you got to try in this situation right so it, you're turning the ball over there you know really no matter what so that one wasn't a big deal you know you got a new center you can guarantee you're going to have a bad snap when you have a new center in a game um and that happened and they they happened to lose the fumble right you look at the the pick late in in the game against buffalo that you know Russ is just they're down by a couple touchdowns and Russ is just like i think it was a second or third and long and Russ just kind of heaves it to DK, right? That's 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 not a situation that he would normally... I, I don't think that's a throw he typically makes. I think it's a throw that he's like, we're down, it's late, I have to try something, right? So there's been a few of those that I think will just kind of work themselves out if they can kind of balance the ship. Um, But the other ones, I don't know. I don't know. Like, the one, the two in the Rams game, they're just awful. There's just no, there's just no explaining them. And, and- yeah. Nathan, I just want to add on top of that. The thing that bothers me about the Chris Carson situation, not him being injured, but uh, well, kind of him being out of the game is it feels like it almost makes an excuse for Russell. Like he can't be good. Well, when he, What was that? There's been a lot of excuses. Going on. It's just like, it's okay to just say like, Russell had a bad game and he made multiple really bad decisions. Like I know it's uncharacteristic for him, but like, He's a human. He's a sports player. They have bad stretches. They make bad plays. Like I, I think it's 
it can be that simple sometimes. Well, we talked about this. Tom Brady looked like shit against who was it? The Packer uh, or New Saints? New Orleans. Yeah, you're right. New Orleans. Uh, Aaron Rodgers looked like crap against Tampa Bay and actually didn't look much better against Jacksonville, if we're being honest. So, like, yeah. And it's not like no one's saying Tom Brady was injured. Like, I, that's the part that drives me crazy. Like, I hated that. Russell Wilson is the best player in the history of the franchise. He is a legitimate MVP contender and should win it if he can get out of his own way a little bit this year. But when he has a bad game, like you're saying, Evan, it's okay to say Russell had a bad game, period. And, and I just want to be clear. Every time Jason Myers misses a field goal from now on, I'm telling everybody he's injured. So <laughs> just. Well, it might be a while, dude. He's, he's, that was hey, awesome. he's, a, he's a, he's a, he's a, Sex God is what he is. He just hit a 61-yard field goal, man. This is like circa two years ago where Michael Dixon was the best story on the Seahawks. We do not want Jason Myers to be the story of the Seahawks. How many points do you get? How many points do you get for a 61-yard field goal? It's still More points just than you get for an interception. It's still just three, though. It's it's not four. It's not five. It's it's just three. Three base points, a couple of style points. That's yeah, what you get. yeah. Hmm. Style points. Gotcha. Dude, come on. Hey, Nathan. On a sixty-one yard field. Nathan, give me the sixty-one. We all get yard. lucky sometimes. Good oh boy, he's like on twenty-one straight. He's on like twenty-one straight. You think you're gonna make twenty-one from sixty-one. Just just admit the contract was not bad, Nathan. It's terrible. It's an awful contract. You don't need to pay him that much money. I, I don't want to suspend any more time on this topic. Um, <laughs> a lot of talking about stuff. So, so like, look, I, I'll say this. As far as Russell throwing fewer interceptions, some of it's just going to have to come from Russell. That's not like some magic formula. He's going to have to make better decisions. But there's two things I would like to see. One, I would really like to see that they get more insistent on him being um, – taking some of the quick game options and some of the shorter options. I think one of the things I don't know if it's going to be something Russell can really adapt to. One of his traits is he is super stubborn. It's part of what makes him great. He likes going for the bigger plays. He does not like taking swing passes and some of the shorter routes. And I think that he needs to be a little bit more decisive on some of these plays and take the easier throws. I think that's one thing that would be super helpful the other is I would like to see them move, um, mix in more draws and screens and some things that combat these, these blitzes that people are throwing to get some of the pressure off. Like actually scheme to have some blitz beating plays because I don't think we're seeing that. Like we see when the Seahawks are blitzing every five seconds, the other teams are adding in some just tried and true blitz beaters. Even if they don't work, they make the defensive coordinator have to account for those in the way they're calling. I don't think we're doing enough of those. I think it would help Russell. I think it would help keep the defense off of him a little bit more and give him a little bit more of a chance to make good calls. So those are the two things for me that, that stand out. Um, I don't know, Jeff, if there's anything else, or, or Nathan, if you have anything else that you know, you're hoping to see. I don't think they're using play action enough. I know we're all going to talk about this over and over, but I think that's so important to make things easier on Russell, buy him some time, open some things up. Uh, I think it's just such an important part of their offense. I think it's an important part of any efficient offense. I think that would help Russell. I think Pete's been critical of him hitting hot receivers. I know that was something I had heard as well, that Russell was not identifying hot receivers very well, which to those who don't know, that's when a blitz is coming 
it's the guy you have to get the ball out quickly to. I know there was a play or two last game where Greg Olson sat in the route, seeing the blitz, could have done a quick three-yard play to him. He took a sack. He put his head down. It's just a fact of Russell trying to do too much, and it might be trying to overcompensate for the bad defense. But you, like, like Brian said, he just has to take what's there sometimes. That's a win. And just keep the game moving because there's – Russell just just doing stuff that was just uncharacteristic. He threw the ball out of bounds, which was an intentional grounding that ate a drive away. Um, he took a delay of game, which led to an interception on the next play. It's just Russell, like they said, they need to simplify things for him because right now he's trying to do too much and he looks a little mentally off. And that's so unlike him. He's He ha- really hasn't had a game like that since his rookie season. All right. Can, can we flip flip sides of the, the, the team for a second and talk about that? That should be positive. Let's talk about the defense. Um, and well, before we do that, I do want to point out the Cardinals. Cardinals defense and Seahawks defense over the last three games, which is giving up more points. Seahawks have 44 against the Bills. Has to be a trick question, right? Yes, you'd be right. The Cardinals have given up over 30 points in each of their last three games. The Seahawks have given up over 30 points in one of their last three games. Right. I really enjoy how you're using like the one defensive performance. <laughs> no. Nope. The, the 49ers game as well. I mean, we forget I know. We set it aside. I know. I know. Look, look guys. Very similar to the Seahawks. Like if Kyler Murray doesn't hit that Hail Mary, I know that's a big if. They're five and four with two straight losses, and people are talking about them. If they lose, if they would have been like a potential five hundred team, they're it's very similar. They're not that different. No, they had no business winning the game against the Seahawks. The Seahawks gave them that like, the game Bills. five different they ways. Lost the Bills too. So so, okay. I just had to point out like this Cardinals defense. defense this Cardinals defense is struggling. When they came into the Seahawks game the first time, the the, the first time these. Cardinals defense was number two in the NFL in scoring defense. They're now number nine. They've been dropping like a rock and, and almost all their defensive numbers have been dropping precipitously over the last three weeks. Patrick Peterson, for what it's worth, everyone's saying he shut down DK. I don't know, guys. I don't think Patrick Peterson shut down DK. Patrick Peterson was getting beat by Tyler Lockett in that game as well. Tyler Lockett was just beating everybody and they didn't go to DK that much. So I, I would say I think this is an opportunity for DK to actually prove Patrick Peterson is not his stopper. And I, I, I think that that's something I'm looking for, regardless of whether they run the ball more or not. I think we're going to see more DK Metcalf. And I think he's going to make a statement tomorrow night, but switching sides, the Cardinals offense ranked number one in the NFL in yards per game. The Seahawks defense ranked dead last in yards per game allowed. We saw some glimpses of progress against the Rams. And for people that don't know it, the Rams offense is ranked like fifth in the NFL in DVOA. The Cardinals offense is like 14th or something like that. And the Seahawks showed some progress against that offense and against what's been a killer in Sean McVay. How are you guys looking at this game? Like, do you see any hope for the Seahawks holding what is a Cardinals offense that has scored over 30 points, five straight games? Is there any reason to think that the Seahawks might hold this team under 30 points in this game? 
silence. <laughs> I don't Who think else take this one. If this defense was healthier, then maybe, uh, but I don't see any reason to think that they're going to do any better than they did first time around. Nobody's going to take this, huh? Because I'll I'll talk about it. I I think there's reasons to believe it'll be better. Okay, let's hear them. I, I want to see if I can rebut them. So a few things. Um, one, um, Carlos Dunlap not available in the first game. Um, I think is a difference maker. Benson Mayoa will be back this week. He'll be banned from the Cardinals games. He absolutely was a troublemaker in that game, but. I think there's opportunity for him to rotate. Rasheem Green did not play in that first game and has been doing decently. I think those three together have been decent. Guess which team is number two in the NFL in sack rate over the last three weeks? Seahawks. The, the Seattle Seahawks. Over 10% sack rate over I the guess last Jamal, three weeks. Jamal didn't play in Arizona game. Jamal did not play in that first game. Um, I think that you could argue DJ Reed and Trey Flowers – are better cornerbacks the last three weeks than Quentin Dunbar and Shaquille Griffin. I'm not saying they're good. I'm not saying they're good. But you guys have to show to me what measure Shaquille Griffin and Quentin Dunbar have shown that they're better than those guys in the last few weeks. Like, I don't think we've seen any – I'm not saying that they played, but when they've played this season – I don't think there's clear clear reason to believe that they're they've been superior to those two. Can I ask you guys a question on that actually? Has has Trey Flowers earned a starting spot for the foreseeable future? No. Even if Shaquille and Dunbar no. come back? Why are you no. so sure on that, Nathan? Like do you he realize how good he wasn't that good against... Dunbar's been? Well, I'm not. Yeah, Dunbar I'm not talking. Was not healthy in that game. Like, yeah. Does does he earn a spot over Quentin Dunbar? If Quentin Dunbar only has one knee, then sure. But like, I don't think that's the intent of the question, right? I, I mean, it has to. It be kind of is though. Knee injury. It kind of is though, because like I'm working under the assumption that uh, Dunbar's not going to be ever fully healthy again. Like, didn't they pretty explicitly say it was a chronic <laughs> thing? The next seven games. Then he they hasn't earned it. Then he hasn't earned it over Dunbar. <laughs> He's Dunbar's just hurt, and maybe Dunbar's permanently hurt and permanently broken. And so, yeah, Trey will end up being better than Dunbar the rest of the way. But like, no, I don't think that Trey has earned a spot over. If Dunbar, you know, goes to Europe and gets a bunch of stem cells shot into his knee and comes back and says, "I feel great," then no, I don't think you give. I him- agree. I agree. I, I, I wouldn't argue that. I, I, I still like, I think the point being that Dunbar over his past, at least two games, I don't think that you can make the argument. He should be starting over anybody um, probably on any roster um, the way he's played when he was hurt um, for, for that period of time. So I think that's a fair question. The other guys that are different here, guys, um, you know, Puna Ford, he is the number two rated defensive tackle in all the NFL over the past four weeks. Only Aaron Donald is better in that period of time. Like there's reasons to be optimistic. I think the other things you have to take into account, Cardinals could be missing both of their tight ends. Daryl Daniels looks like he's going to be out. Max Williams may play, but is probably going to be out. That leaves them with only, uh, I can't remember the name of the dude. It's like a 220 pounder 
Um, he's a receiving tight end. He's more like Jacob Hollister. I think there's some questions about their ability to pass protect with just five guys and with the guys they've got available there. So um, obviously got snacks. Harrison did not make much of a difference in this last game, but he is different. So I also last thing I'll say, cause you guys are not taking any of this bait is the Seahawks came into that last game with a clear plan to sit back and make Kyler beat them with his arm. They did not pressure him. They stayed back. It did not work. I think they're going to rush him. I think they're going to blitz him. And Kyler Murray has actually been a turnover machine this year. He has been great in a lot of ways, but he's turned the ball over quite a bit. And he did even in that game against the Seahawks last game. I think that the blitz is going to be effective in this game. And I think that we're going to see fewer big plays through the air than we did in that first game. So those are the reasons. That's ballsy to say with those two corners out. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's really ballsy because the number one player I'm worried about tomorrow night is DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. He's going to have a night. A Trey Flowers on him? I, th- I, I think it's going to – it's inevitable. I think even if Seattle wins, Hopkins is having a big day tomorrow. Yeah. So, Brian, I'll say it to answer you. I share your optimism in terms of the pass rush. Adding Dunlap, Adams, Puna's been playing much better. They are definitely destined to be better. They can't rush with four as well as they used to, which is why they blitz so much. But I really do believe in Dunlap. I was very high on him before the trade. I think like that could impact this game. But their coverage is where I just can't get excited about this team. And just how disconnected they look just as a unit. I know we talk about their talent as individuals a lot, but I don't know if this is probably a coaching thing. There was a video that Josh circulated and Evan later circulated in our chat today, just about how laughable their defense has been just from a coverage standpoint and just basic communication things and how off they look from a coverage standpoint, how easy it is for other teams to attack them. And just, it seems like, I know uh, there was this Twitter video going around and just like, it seems like they're not, prepared at all for how teams are going to attack them and even though they did get better in the second half Jared Goff missed a bunch of throws that really could have changed that story there was one to Higby I still find it hard to believe unless they if they're blitzing Kyler more he can get out and he can run and having linebackers that can run with Kyler is maybe not the strength of man Wagner and Wright but Jordan Brooks is someone I would like to see get a little more action in this game he's been better than people think but I'm just, I'm still so worried about this coverage unit and the guy who's coaching it because I unfortunately watched a Ken Norton press conference yesterday. You advised <laughs> me against it. If you want anything to shake your confidence in a team, put on that eight minutes. It, it's painful. It's awful. It's just very hard for me, Brian, to share your optimism about the defense with Ken Norton at the helm. And I know we've talked about this for years and years, but. I, 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 I'm totally in line with you guys on the pass rush. Like they are, I think over the past few weeks, better than we expected going into this season. Uh, obviously the Dunlap trade is huge. Jamal Adams has almost six sacks on the year. Um, Daryl, or how do you say his name? Daryl, Daryl, Daryl Taylor. He's coming back in a couple of weeks. Could be something. Uh, the pass rush feature looks good. Yeah, I was going to bring up the Taylor and Penny news. We'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, I mean, look, there's no, there's nothing that's going to make me feel good about Ken Norton 
um, as defensive coordinator. He is, he is dead to me uh, as, as a Seahawks coach. And there's nothing that could honestly happen the rest of the year that would change my mind about that. I think that brings up a bigger issue with the team right now. And I know Evan kind of alluded to this. And I know you both did on the show on Sunday that me and Nathan were not. But I think Pete Carroll's not doing a good enough job. I think anytime you listen to John Schneider talk, he says the two most important people in the building are the coach and the quarterback. We talked about the quarterback the last two weeks. I think Pete's done a horrific job, on, which has coincidentally coincided with his contract extension. And I think there needs to be a conversation there because – I thought personally, like one of the more optimistic parts of the start of the season is that we didn't, weren't having those same conversations we were having last year where it was like, what the hell is Pete talking about after the game, number one, and the really bad in-game decisions. He seemed like he had a, a process with that. And the last two weeks reminded me a lot of last year. There was a Baltimore game last year where Pete didn't punt the ball in fourth, well, punted the ball in fourth and one and just sucked the life out of the team. It happened again on Sunday. And the Ken Norton thing, like, that's on Pete. That's not – like, you look at the Rams on the other side of the ball. They fired their defensive coordinator last year. And all of a sudden, bad Pete has come back. And I think that's a huge issue. Yeah. I, I, it's a good point, Jeff. And and I kind of forgot because Evan and I talked about that quite a bit in the post-game show. We spent a lot of time talking about Pete. I certainly, in my article on Monday – my whole first half of the article was about Pete. Um, and one of Brian's first lines in the postgame show was how quick can a recently extended head coach be fired? And the answer is Jeff Fisher. Did you know that? I what, saw so, that. Somebody on Twitter pulled it up. He received an extension in whatever year it was in early 2010s. And eight days later, he was, he was fired by the Rams. So eight there's days? your question. Eight days. Isn't that crazy? Eight days later. That's honestly bad ownership. Totally. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's pretty bad. Um, yeah. I, I, just knowing that we, we only have some amount of time left. I mean, look, the fact of the matter is from my perspective is Ken Norton should be fired. And every day that he's not is an indictment of Pete, period. He's not doing it. He's not doing his job as a leader by keeping on a guy that's that's underperforming at that level. And uh, I think that's clear. I don't think Pete Carroll is going to get let go anytime soon. You know, got his extension. I don't think Jody Allen is in, you know, ready or Burt Cold is ready to turn anything around at this point. Um, but yeah, this is a season where Pete's got what he needs to be to have a team that can do damage. And I don't think over the last few weeks, I, I think he's far, far, far underperforming that. So the latest test is going to be what he does with this run pass balance thing. And does he mess up the rest of the season by overcompensating? So, <laughs> uh, Nathan, awesome background. Um, let's take some patron questions. Cause I, we got some other stuff to cover as well. Um, uh, Nathan, if you can bring those up, uh, for folks that haven't already join over at patreon.com slash Hawk blogger, we've added some channels. We've got a game day chat channel, uh, for people that just go off in there. We've got a positive vibes only channel. That is uh, a bastion, especially during these times where things are going wrong. I'm not allowed in there. <laughs> yeah. Nathan I've, been, I've been banned. I got blocked. Nathan does, is not welcome and spends no time in that channel, but the rest of us uh, enjoy, especially Dana and I, we, we enjoy our time in there. So 
Um, come on over patreon.com slash hawk blogger. Um, and uh, we'll also answer your questions as best we can. So, so Nathan hit us with some of those. Yeah. So kind of on the topic of uh, Ken Norton, not kind of exactly on the topic of Ken Norton. Uh, Zira wants to know how much uh, impact can a coaching change make mid season? If, if Seattle fired him today, and let's say they just promote with from within. Uh, you know, Dan Quinn wants to take a break; he's not coming back. Uh, so they just they just uh, Clint Hurt or whoever you know steps up. What does that do for this defense? Who are you directing that to? Oh, uh, I guess you, because you really want him to fire. You said it was an indictment on Pete. Not to, every day is an indictment on Pete. So, what do you expect to change if they do fire him? So, um, we've seen as recently as last year. Um, Dan Quinn handed over play calling duties on defense to, I think it was Raheem Morris, I want to say. Um, and then maybe Jeff Wilbrick or something like that, um, two, uh, two assistants on his team. And the defense took a step forward, a significant step forward for the second half of that year. Um, and look, I think the biggest things you see from a defensive or offensive coordinator and the impact in the game are two places. One, how does the game start? Have they come out with a plan? Have they scouted well enough to come out with a plan that gives you an advantage early? We've seen the last few weeks, holy crap, Buffalo scores every single possession. Los Angeles scored their first three possessions. That's an indictment of the defensive coordinator. The second place that you really see the impact is adjustments. And especially in the second half, when they have a chance to talk to the team and reorganize, this team has not shown any ability to do that on the defensive side of the ball. We complain about it on offense, but at least there's been signs that Schottenheimer does make changes. The Minnesota game, perfect example. They were not taking the intermediate passes. We wanted them to make the change earlier, but they did eventually make the change and benefited from it. We just don't see Norton having the ability and he just I don't think he's clever enough. I don't think there's anything about whether it's from his press conferences to his play calls, to his schemes. There is nothing that shows that Ken Norton has honestly the mental capacity to outsmart his opponents week to week. So that's where I think you would see the change if you made, if you made a switch. Um, Evan, uh, actually let's just round table this real quick. Uh, throw out a name. I'll start with you, Evan. Uh, who do you think was the best player on the offensive side on the ball last Sunday? Anybody have a name they want to throw out? We can just throw out a name and Dwayne Brown. Oh, you asshole! It's okay. We can we can agree uh, with. We don't have no, to. No, we're have not to allowed to agree. We're oh, not okay. allowed to agree on things. Travis Damian... Homer. <laughs> uh, Damian Lewis continues to be a stud. You got one, Brian? Yeah, I was trying to think. I mean, I guess I'd have to go with Dwayne Brown. Yeah. I mean, I think oh, was... I'm an idiot. Jason Myers. Offense instead of the ball. offense. He's special. He scored points. He scored points. I'm going with the, I'm going with Jason Myers. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Um, Jeff, how does Jordan Brooks look? Do you think he'll grow into an impact player down the stretch? I think he's someone who warrants more playing time. I know there's been a lot of videos of him in coverage and he's starting to show some stuff. There was one play where he broke on the ball 
and had a nice hit to break up a play. There's just not a lot of speed in Seattle on the roster. There's not a lot of guys who, who can just force fumbles. Marquise Blair's missing. He's someone I would like to see more of. I, like even in plays where they're using Ryan Neal in coverage, he's starting at a, he got badly burned. I'd like to see Brooks get more looks and maybe even you on nickel situations, maybe you start giving him some looks over KJ because how slow they are at the middle level of defenses. So he's someone I would like to see more of, and there's not a lot of people on defense I'm asking that for right now. All right. Uh, has no clue. We can round table this one too. Has no clue is, uh, is going to share some of the blame for the Thursdays. Uh, actually, all right, never mind. I should read the question. He says after the, the, the loss coming up on Thursday. So he's just outright assuming we lose tomorrow. Uh, what does success look like to you over the next four games? So they play Cardinals uh, tomorrow, obviously. Next four games after that are Eagles, Giants, Jets, Washington. Is there anyone on here that thinks anything less than 4-0 is success over that four-game stretch? No? No. They have to win all, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Losing any of those would be, I think, a shock and a major problem. Um, One comment there. Yeah. Those games are harder now than they were at the beginning of the year. So I think, like, the Giants especially are a better team now. Yeah. I just think the Giants are a better team now than they were at the beginning of the year. I think – So – I think the Seahawks have a little bit of a tough draw there relative to some of the other NFC West teams that got to play those teams when they were in total disarray, but I I still think they need to win all of them regardless. All right. Last one for Brian from Tyler Giraldi's. You can only pick one. If you can only pick one, who would you rather have next year? Puna or Jaron Reed? Oh, Puna. Shocked to hear that, Mr. That's Reed that's lover. a huge loss for the Jaron Reed fan club. Yeah, Oof. president. Are you guys gone. just disbanding now, or what happens after you jump jump guys, ship like that? Trolling is so weak. <laughs> like, you know, I, I fully expect when Jaron Reed ends up with like the five sacks or more that I I predicted that you guys will all act like that was never what I said, that I predicted something like 12 or something. I never said that. You said he'd get back to his 11 sack uh, production. (laughs) Never said that. I have the tape. I'll go find it. You go find that. (laughs) I would love to see it. It's going to be a wonderfully doctored tape. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you for the patron questions. Thank you, guys. Um, uh, One one topic I want to get to before we we get into some predictions and some other stuff as we we close out. there was news that came out today. We, we talked about it a little bit before. Pete Carroll said Daryl Taylor, Rashad Penny could be back as early as next week um, to start practicing. Uh, one, does, that, does either one of those pique your interest? And two, which one is more interesting and has the bigger chance to impact this season? Evan, let's start with you. Uh, I'm going to go to Nathan because I was definitely not listening to the question. Hey, Jeff, what's your thought on this one? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I'm just going to go back to a solo pod. It's, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I'm not really intrigued by either. There's only seven games left and there's still a period of ramp up and they're going to have to get ready. I think the obvious answer has to be Darrell Taylor. I think any addition to the pass rush 
he was a guy they did great as a first round talent, you know, based on how they draft in first round, usually the, not the best thing, but um, I think just the, the upside he has, what he can bring to the team. I, the thing with Penny is I do think they miss his breakaway speed and his ability to break a long run, but I struggle to see where he gets snaps and who gets cut. I just struggle to see the fit. Like, where do you fit him into a team that's passing so much? Is he, where is his carries coming from? So I don't really see a clean path to playing time. And maybe it will end up with uh, Travis Homer being released or put on IR for the year. But I don't know anything about football, so I don't like Travis Homer. But um, <laughs> I just don't see where Penny fits in. I don't see it. Yeah, that's that's the question for me. And it's actually a question for both of them because uh, it's not like Rashad Penny was a standout pass protector and fits in as a perfect third down back. Um, he would have to take Carlos Hyde snaps. I don't know that I see the team making that choice. Um, personally, I would rather have Penny getting those snaps than Carlos Hyde. I just don't know that the team will give him that opportunity. So I do have some question there. There's been enough injury at the position. He might get the opportunity by attrition, but, but, but I'd rather have him available than not for sure. Taylor's an interesting one guys like rookie pass rushers don't generally make that much of an impact overall. Now you've got a guy coming off an injury middle of the season. Uh, like glad that he's going to be available. It sounds like do any of you see him taking snaps from, and if so, from who? Nathan, I think you know your your best realistic scenario for Taylor is that he comes back sometime over the next couple of weeks, gets a few games under his belt, and then is fresh legs. You know, late in the season in the playoffs when when you really need him, right? Um, I neither of these guys excite me, right? Penny, like for the reason you said one, he's not like much of like a fit. He's not going to, to fix what ails them right from what they need from the running back position so much. And also he's just a running back. And I think everyone knows how I feel about them. Uh, but then, yeah, I mean, Daryl Taylor with coming back from injury, being a rookie pass rusher, like it's just hard to expect much of anything from him. So maybe he's just a guy that has a ton of energy and some fresh legs by the time the end, of the, by the time the playoffs roll around. I think you guys are slightly underestimating the potential role Rashad Penny could have in the second half of the season. And it's not because Rashad Penny is some shining star of talent. Uh, our backs have been dinged up all year long. Carson and Hyde are not like 100% healthy. Uh, it's very possible they get dinged up again. I don't think it's, I don't think there's an out of this world situation where Rashad Penny is your starting running back for four or five weeks throughout the season rest of the year i think that's possible i mean we've seen it multiple times over multiple years where the seahawks have gone to a bare cupboard at the running back position so that's why i'm happy he's going to be available i just don't know what to expect from the guy coming off sure knee injury and this time frame and usually it takes the year after before they really look i will say brian though in the couple of games you know remember the eagles game before rashad penny got hurt like he's looking the best he's looked in the NFL. And yeah, I, I understand. Exactly. He was finding his footing and I'm not saying that will resume, but the last we saw of him was positive. Um, one last thing. Uh, and then I think Nathan, you wanted to, to bring up one other point here, but uh, 
Phil Haynes, also back. Uh, he he uh, takes over for Nico Thorpe. I don't think he's going to be playing corner or special teams, but uh, with the situation at center, uh, Phil Haynes has taken some snaps there last year. I wouldn't be surprised if he is the backup center in this game, um, knowing that, that Kyle Fuller is playing injured. Ethan, Ethan Posick is still out. Uh, anyone? Well, I'll just put it this way, because I'm guessing you guys have no comment about Phil Haynes. I think Phil Haynes physically has a lot more to offer than either Ethan Posick or Kyle Fuller. And I would be really hopeful that he gets some snaps at center this year and gives us an idea of whether he can be the center of the future, as opposed to signing Ethan Posick, who I think has limited upside. I'm not, I think Ethan Posick has been a fine placeholder at center. I think he's a league average guy. I don't think there's a lot of upside to him. And in fact, I'd be a little upset. I would not be happy if they signed him to an expensive extension um, after this year. I don't think he's the kind of guy you want to lock in. I'd rather them find a younger, younger talent. So I personally am hopeful that Phil Haynes gets some snaps and shows that, that he can be part of a, a lower cost option and, and higher ceiling option um, at center. I'll disagree with you on that. I think Posick has low key been a really nice player for Seattle this year. I don't want to dump a ton of money on or anything. He doesn't deserve to get a huge contract. I don't think, um, but I think he's been a quality starter for them. Uh, and yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't assume that Haynes, who I don't know if he's ever played center at any significant level, would offer more upside than him. Well, that's the point. We don't know that. I would hope that he'd get some snaps. And if he showed promise, I think physically he's got more to offer than Posick. Um, but yeah, Posick is fine. He's fine as center. I just, knowing what he might, you might have to pay him in, in terms of a long-term extension and the injury situation he's dealt with over the past few years and the limited upside I see, I don't think he's going to get a lot better. I'm just not particularly interested in spending money at that position when you have hopefully other options. They might not have a choice. They might not have any other options to, to, to pick from. So um, yeah, I, I'm not saying posing has been bad. I just, I see limited upside for him. Um, Nathan, Derek had a post this week. Uh, why don't you share a little bit about that? Yeah, um, the post itself was pretty short and sweet, um, but what it's about is pretty cool. Uh, so he put together a tableau, uh, which if you're not familiar, it's um, uh, it's kind of like an interactive spreadsheet, I guess you could say. Uh, and it has um, all of the, well, not all, uh, it has all of the play-by-play, all of the plays from the NFL Faster um, data. Uh, so if you're not familiar with NFL Faster, Faster, that's what everyone who does any kind of data analytics at this point uses. Um, I think Ben Baldwin created that. Um, and so it, it's just row by row by row of all of the play-by-play data. Um, to fit it into the Tableau, he had to kind of uh, cut a lot of the columns out of it, but you still have every single play and you have all of the key um data that you typically would look for uh in the in the data um so it's really cool check it out you can go to you can go to the site hawk blogger uh and there's a post right there with a link to it and you can start to play around with it and just get an idea um you know if you're if you're interested in and in, you know playing around with epa or cpoe or you know air yards um 
uh, any of that kind of stuff, win probabilities in here. Uh, it, it's uh, really cool. So I would encourage everyone to go check it out. If you're not super savvy with uh, R or Python or any of the coding languages, uh, this is a much more friendly uh, kind of interface for it. Yeah, absolutely. Most bookmark, um, you know, go to hotblogger.com. It's up there right now and you can uh, add it uh, to your, your favorite browser. Um, guys, let's talk about predictions. We're at that time. Seahawks lost three of four, turned the ball over like crazy. Their MVP quarterback has fallen out of the MVP race, uh, or at least fallen way back. The Seahawks have fallen out of first place, second place. They're in third place in the division. Uh, they're missing all sorts of players, injured all over the place. Might rain. Season might hang in the balance in terms of what the ceiling is for this team in this game. Jeff, what's going to happen tomorrow night? Are you on mute? Because it's not nearly as interesting when we're just listening to your your mouth. <laughs> well, you don't even know what I said. Um, anyway, ugh. like if you put a gun to my head, I would probably take Arizona. I just find it hard to bank on what I've seen from Seattle the last two weeks. But I just need something to be hopeful about right now. So I'm going to go against my gut. I'm usually the boring, logical person on here. So I'm going to take the Seahawks. I, I feel like this is a game where Russell is going to bounce back. And I do think the Cardinals are closer to the Seahawks in terms of just their overall, like their flaws and their issues than people think. They're not – everyone's talking to them at this up-and-coming team and Seattle's going to hell. I actually think they're much closer and they're inches away from being – five and four, four and five. I guess you can say that about the Seahawks too. So I'm going to take the Seahawks winning a close game. I think this was a team we always assumed they would split with. So I feel, do think they'll split. In the last game, they really should have won. It took like an uneasy, like an unusual series of events to lose. So the guys coming back and Russell's motivation, I say they win by a field goal, 31 to 28. Okay. Evan, what happens? I've gotten more optimistic as the week has gone on. Seattle has their first complete dominant win this year. I think it's 34 to 13. Wow. 13. 13. The defense builds off their second half performance from last week. Uh, and their blitzes get to Kyler Murray. Fascinating to me. And I don't understand why. Seahawks defense over the it's last. It's total gut. I have <laughs> I love no it. logic I love whatsoever. It. I just going to add a little, little to your fuel to your fire. Seahawks defense over the last two weeks in, in against the Bills, even when they gave up forty four points, and against the Rams, uh, I've given up just over three yards of play in the second half the last two weeks. That's crazy. That's like super elite level yards per play. I don't understand why the first half, not so pretty, <laughs> like seven yards of play, but, but uh, yeah, there's some glimpse there of something that they're holding someone for some period of time, which they just have not been doing. So uh, clinging to some hope there. That would be amazing. 13 points. Nathan, what do you got? I'm going to go. 30 28 uh i think seattle lines up for a, a last second field goal and jason myers botches it wide left and they lose the game 30 28 to arizona uh 
No, I'm rolling it back. Last week I went 38-20 Seahawks. Uh, that looks real stupid now, so I'm going to do it again and hope my luck improves. If I just keep doing it every week, eventually you come up Snake Eyes if Snake Eyes is good or the good dice if it's not. I don't know. Yeah, here's the thing. Um, my My psyche will not let me imagine a Seahawks loss tomorrow because it would be too devastating. Um, would it be more devastating than the Rams loss? It would. Why? They would have lost four of five, three in a row. Um, pretty much ended their division hopes. Uh, you know, I, I, I just can't see that. Um, I, I refuse to see that. And so I look at this game, I see a lot of, a lot of the intangibles that I felt like really helped the Rams last week. A lot of things I think were benefiting them and just like leaned that game very clearly in their direction and the Seahawks were going to have to overcome it. I think there's reason to believe that those intangibles actually favor the Seahawks this week. Um, and I, uh, I think this is going to be a game that surprises folks, two teams that score a ton of points and put up, almost 1200 yards between them in the first matchup. I think this is going to be a little bit lower scoring. I don't think either team reaches 30 points. Um, I think the first team to 27 wins and I've got the Seahawks winning 27, 24 in this game. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And we, are we doing a post game show tomorrow night? This is going to be, uh, be a, late one. a little We're bit late for, for you guys. I'm going to do that. Are you going to be there? You sound like you're not going to. I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. D- dependent on outcome? No, not dependent on the outcome. I got the day off on Friday. So, you know, this is easy peasy for me. And I get to golf Friday for the first time in a month. My old man body is healed up. I'm ready to suck it up um, on Friday. So I'll be, in, I'll be in good spirits regardless. We'll do it. All right, everybody. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, big, 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 big game tomorrow night. Looking forward to all of you being there. If you want to have the most fun, join right now. Patreon.com slash Hawkblogger gets you immediate access to the Slack channel. You can be in the game day thread with everybody um, and start to participate in the post game show as well. So we hope to see you all tomorrow night after what will hopefully be a big Seahawks victory. Until then, make sure you click subscribe, click the notification button, um, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Go Hawks.